0: I do have out-of-body experiences. People are like, "Which is the best Delver player in the world?" I don't think I'm the best Delva player in the world. I think I'm a magic player. I think I'm just a person trying to play every turn and make every decision correctly. I don't really let things go to my head, but it's hard because facing the expectations of not only the public but people around you and all these kind of situations, it, it's hard. And I think that was way more intense for me like after i've won scg or like after you win a tournament it's like okay this expectation for you is always just so high i know that i'm just a person playing magic
1: Hello, 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 and welcome to Humans of Magic, the show that gets up deep and personal with your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. You are listening to episode 102 with Rich Kelly. Rich Kelly is a legacy format enthusiast and writer for Channel Fireball. This is one that I've really enjoyed recording for two fundamental reasons. Number one, this is a mindset episode. This is Rich talking about the ups and downs of actually winning magic events and what happens when you do. It's very much about the motivation to play magic. This is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. If you listen to this episode, you also hear me talk a bit more about my obsession with magic, my 2,000, 3,000 hours of magic online and what that means to me. So number one, that's very important because it's a mindset episode. I got into how Rich thinks as a very high-level competitive Magic player. Number two, love this episode because Rich and I actually have a relationship. I asked him to coach me when I played the Legacy format. When I started playing Magic competitively in 2008, I jumped into Legacy. Have not let go A little bit less these days since I'm doing this podcast, but legacy is very near and dear to my heart. So we don't exactly talk about the strategy stuff so much because it is a mindset episode, but I love doing legacy episodes, man. I love talking to legacy players. There's some amazingly talented people in this format. They don't get all the exposure that they deserve. And so I'm really glad to share this episode with you of me having a conversation with Rich Cali simply one of the best I would love to get your support on humans of magic the project so if you have not had the chance please follow us on twitter and instagram both accounts can be found at humans of magic one word we also have a new patreon patreon.com slash humans of magic if you want to join our exclusive discord community you want me to help review your podcast or content Happy to do that through the Discord and the Patreon. I have switched to a weekly release format. So Humans and Magic is always going to be free. It's always going to be a labor of love. But the Patreon is going to go a long way to cover the additional intensity of the workload. And I'm really happy to do weekly episodes. I want to get more Humans and Magic content out. So your support is always appreciated. The phenomenal music you hear in this episode and every episode of Humans of Magic is supplied by Kupla. That's spelled K-U-P-L-A. Kupla is an absolutely fantastic musician. He's a magic player, and you can find all of his music on all the streaming platforms, including Spotify and SoundCloud. Definitely give him a follow on Twitter as well, Kupla Sound, and uh, tell him Humans of Magic said hi. Today on Humans of Magic, I am here with legacy player extraordinaire,
0: Rich Cali. Rich, how are you doing today, sir? I am wonderful. I'm feeling good. Uh, I'm, I'm happy. And i there's really not much more else to say, which is really nice.
1: That's great. So I promised you before the recording that we were not going to talk too much about magic or about the legacy format.
0: But I thought that for
1: people who are not so familiar with your work, I could start off with a story and then a question. Is that okay? Sure. the away. All right. So I guess the story is that we've actually interacted before through Magic. You are quite a well-known legacy player, especially with the Delver archetype. And I'm just saying this because I actually asked you to coach me one time. And the coaching session went really well. I basically asked you to help guide me through playing the Delver deck because I was kind of in a rut. I was, could be playing better and things like that. And you really helped me and we played what on Magic Online is called a league. So for those of you who don't know what a league is, it's like you play five rounds with a deck and it's very low stakes because I guess it's basically like a $10 buy-in. You know, for someone like Rich, like you, you basically got infinite. You can just keep playing that. Uh, for me, I had to spend like 10 tickets and play it. And what struck me most from that session together with you was that there were times in the match or matches where I felt like it was unwinnable. But you had this sort of, as a coach, you had this indomitable will where you always thought through, what can I do to win this game or this match? And it went from like a match where I could have easily gone like 2-3 to like 3-2 or 4-1, I don't remember. But that was the thing that most struck me even today about that was just like your strong mindset when it comes to playing the game and always trying to think about how I can come out of this situation, even when it's the odds are against you. So the first question is, where do you think you get that mindset and that kind of willpower? Is it nature versus nurture? Is it just home through the years or like, where do you think you get that from?
0: Well, <laughs> nature versus nurture, that, maybe that'll come up a little bit later because that's a really interesting conversation because I'm adopted. So there they there's actually a lot to say about that. Um, mm-hmm. I think that mindset, I really have always just practiced being positive and never trying to sacrifice any percentage points in that way. You know, you really have to, when you're, you're in a dire situation, it doesn't really matter how dire it is. If you want to win, you have to think about what's going to go right if you win. And, um, I think there's, it's, it's hard to get to that place because it's really, uh, it's, I mean, upsetting is not exactly the word I'm getting at, but it's really disheartening when you're just like, oh man, this is, this is such a bad situation. You know, uh, things haven't gone well. I got unlucky three turns in a row. But the truth is, if there's a chance, you really have to take that chance. And uh, I think in ma- magic, I mean, this applies to life too. I mean, so many lessons in magic apply to life, but it's not really worth focusing on what could have gone well or how we got to the situation as long as there's a chance, my brain kind of just can't help but think of uh, what can I do to get out of it. And I do think that's something in Magic I'm I'm very good at. It's just focusing on, okay, I need I need these four different things to go right over the course of two turns. And if they do, and there's this 1% chance that all of this happens, it can work. Um, so I think it Uh, I just have a really healthy and a really good mindset in that way. So
1: that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's like you, especially like not just when you were coaching me, but even when you're streaming, this is why I love your stream on Twitch, because you're always talking through the lines like, okay, these three things or these four things have to go right. And sometimes they go right, but it's like you are able to figure out like I need to Hit exactly this off the brainstorm. I need to exactly get them to play this way so that I can induce them to give me an opportunity to come back, and that's just incredible stuff. So I'm just I'm just wondering, like, did you did you develop that over time, or did you? Is it like, did it start for you day one as a magic player?
0: Definitely not day one. I I think it's hard to pinpoint exactly where that developed i think i think i've always i have always been good at picturing the future in that way where you have to think about it's not just what's going on right now it's how many steps ahead can you plan and uh along with that and i think well actually maybe not along with that this is kind of a Uh, an aside that maybe ties into it um you know these i don't really losing a game of magic it's kind of just not a big deal i mean there are times where the stakes are high and you know i'm invested and stuff like that but at the end of it i'm just playing a game and at the end of it the game will be over and there will be more games to be played and you know, I think I want to give myself the best chance to win. I want to give myself the best chance to do that. But at the same time, it's, I can kind of emotionally detach in that way and say, okay, you know what, this is what needs to go right. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And I'll just pick up my cards and we'll just move on. So I think it's really hard to figure out exactly where I developed the ability to kind of um, against all odds, make sure I'm going to take the best line in order to to get out of the situation. Um, but I think I think it just happened gradually over time. It's it's really, yeah. I I, I honestly don't know. I wish I could give you know a, a concise answer on that. But I, it's I know like- it's
1: it's it's a it's a tough question because like you know someone asked me like, oh James, how did you become so? Uh, I don't know. How did you start? jogging or why do you jog uh you know three times a week and it's like right. it's very hard for us as humans to like just be like that's exactly like on that day you know 2009 someone said james yeah. should go running and that's when i became a runner like that's the kind of like narrative that's really like very uh superficial yeah. in a way right
0: i i think you know now now that i'm getting a little more time to reflect on it and this will probably come up throughout the entire podcast i am I'm of a very passive thinker, so I'll ingest information and then I'll just let it simmer for a little bit, and then right. I'll have a more complete thought. I kind of think and, and process yeah. it a little bit more slowly yeah. in that way. Um, I think one of the things about me and my nature is that I'm not I'm not a contrarian necessarily. I actually don't think I'm much of a contrarian at all. But when I I'm good at learning from situations and good from look le- at learning from other people's situations and I think that's relevant because I can learn the most when I see something that I know I don't want to be like you know what I mean mm-hmm. like you spend yeah. enough time so it, that relates to this you see enough you spend enough time in magic yeah. communities and you see you know, all these players just get so upset when things don't go their way. And, you know, even though they have 5% to win, 2% to win, whatever it is. And I'll take those situations in and I'll say, I don't want to be like that. That That's something I don't want. I want to focus on, okay, I can, in these situations, getting really upset, you know, uh, losing sight of my ways of winning. Um, I think that's not... Uh I, I'm just good at kind of taking that information in and saying, okay, I'm going to learn from this and I'm going to try to not have that be the person I am. And I think I just placed that focus early on because, I mean, you, you'll be around Magic players for even one second and you'll see that, that come out, <laughs> you know? So um, yeah. it, it's very, it's, it's a dime a dozen to see people who are really, uh, you know, upset with the situations going on and not really thinking about what they can do in order to get out of it. So,
1: Yeah. It's actually hard for me to imagine you being salty or angry, but has that happened before in the past when you play Magic?
0: Uh, yeah, so not. I haven't. I think of myself as not having tilted since like 2015, so it it is okay. kind of rare. But you know, there is, um, there, there 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 has been times when you know my mindset around the game hasn't been um as good or healthy as it is now and um you know I'm as you said I'm a I'm a very mild-mannered person even when you know I don't I never rage I never really you know uh flip out or anything like that even even at you know some of my worst times I'm I'm generally pretty uh relaxed in that way but um you know there there are times I, I I think like I can think of like a specific instance like 2014, 2015, where I just went to a 1K and I didn't play around a spell pierce that I could have played around. And it was round one and I was just so I was just so distraught with myself. I was like, oh, this is so this is so stupid. And that whole 1K, I was just so unpleasant to be around, you know. Yeah. But even but I, it wasn't thought, it wasn't
1: like anger or frust, or maybe it was frustrated, but, but not right, anger. It was, it was more like it was like frustration at yourself, right?
0: Yeah, it was frustration at myself, and it was not me like raging. It was just me being kind, like pretty unpleasant. It was mm-hmm. like, okay, I don't really like this. And that moment, I you know, I remember talking to my partner, and I I top at that event, I top four that event, and ev- everything went fine. But I but you think, remember
1: that more probably than anything else. I remember
0: that a lot more because that was like you know, this is just not the way to act. This is not appropriate because it's not it's not fair to the people around me. It's not fair to uh, it's not fair to me, honestly. Um, I think that's, I think that's a really important thing where it's just like, you know, uh, I, I, I deserve better than to be really upset at a stupid magic mistake. It's like, it, it doesn't matter. Like yeah. it's, it, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect my life. It's just one mistake and we move on. So, right. um, and again, I think that goes back to what I was saying about learning about Uh, how not to be. And I think sometimes I can learn that lesson for myself.
1: Yep. It's, uh, it's, it's hard to put it in perspective in the moment though, right? Because in the moment, that's just what you are. You're a magic player playing round one or round two of the tournament and you're trying to win the tournament. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think my, if I had to give myself a superpower, it's that I'm self-aware. I am really, I am relentlessly self-aware and I haven't always been relentlessly self-aware. Um, and sometimes, you know, I, I would think I'm relentlessly self-aware, but really I'm just ruminating and being depressed and stuff like that. But, um, you know, these days it's like, I'll take in information about myself. I'll take feedback. I'll I'll give myself feedback all the time and be like, Mm -hmm. this is how I grow from this situation. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think self-awareness is, it's, it, to me, it feels like it's the basis of so many positive characteristics, because if you can figure out you know, if you if you know what you're doing, if you know what you're doing wrong, if you know the ways that what you've said have hurt people or offended people or any of any wide range of this kind of stuff, if you're if you're aware enough to figure it out, you know you can kind of grow and learn from that. So I think it, I think it's really important, and I I do think that's something I'm very good at.
1: Yeah. So just to go back in time, maybe slightly changing the topic, but still on topic, I want to know kind of your magic origin story like how did you start playing the game i know from doing research on you that you are into many things we'll get into that later i'm sure but for (laughs) magic how did you get into this particular
0: game i remember the first time i played magic was 2003 um i I was a young wee lad
1: okay that was like almost 20 years ago
0: yeah yeah yeah. Um, and I think I was in eighth grade, seventh grade, whatever it was. And it just, I went to a local comic store um, uh, and I just saw magic cards and was like, I'm just going to buy these. I'm I'm like 12, 13, and this, this looks cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I had to go through a period where My because this was so I I don't know how uh, familiar you are with certain aspects of magic lore, but this was kind of during the period where uh, magic had uh, demonic associations with it.
1: I started playing in revised editions, so I I definitely remember the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: So this was during that era where magic still had this perception on it of Mm -hmm. oh there's there's just like video
1: games are bad for kids like magic does
0: exactly so i had to make like an impassioned case you know to to my mom uh that i should play this game because it's not about demons and it's it it is good actually and all of Mm -hmm. that um so you know i i i I succeeded eventually i got a seventh edition starter kit um you know with dawn elemental and a cd bomb uh and uh then from there, you know, I played a little bit with friends and then I just kind of stopped magic at that point, you know. I, I it was cool. I don't even remember why I stopped. It was just like not cool for me to do it at that time and my friends. Oh, I, I know
1: like there's a social stigma as a kid yeah. like playing magic cards for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And then I remember, you know, I go through high school and I enter freshman year of college, and I remember over my winter break. I'm just like, just, I don't even know where the thought came from, but I was just like, you know, magic was pretty cool. And then I just kind of started looking into it again. And I was, again, so casual. I remember like buying like a thousand magic cards on eBay for like $10. And it was all crappy Zendikar commons. Yep. And I, I got pre uh, like cheap pre-constructed decks from like two 2000- thousand three or 2004 like the the the, they they were the i don't even remember what they called them the expert decks or whatever yeah yeah they had the they had the ratings like expert yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and i took that to play magic at uh just because i was going to college at the time college had uh i i it was like a magic i'm going to say it in quotes it was like a, a magic club but it was just one guy and i just showed up and then we played. And he obliterated me with his standard vampire deck back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, from there, honestly, I was hooked. It, that that's really all it took. Just yep. the uh, it, it, the game just enthralled me so much. Just playing the games was so cool, and yeah. growing and learning about the game and learning how to do better at the game. Yep. Um, and that's that, that's how I got back into it. it. It was a little bit of a slow crawl from there, but. Um,
1: And how'd you go from that to playing tournaments?
0: Um, So, I think I started from the fact that this person I was playing with, uh, his name's Jax. I haven't talked to him in 10 years, but... Shout out to Jax. um, Yeah, shout out to (laughs) Jax. Um, from playing with him and getting crushed by his standard vampires, like I was like, I learned about what standard was he, I remember him being like, do you know what a metagame in a, is? And I was like, I've never heard of the term metagame. And then, you know, I just started getting cards and understanding that there were formats and things like that. So I started just getting into standard, going to local events. Um, and then at some point it became pretty clear that, um, standard wasn't, really sustainable um to play because you need to get new cards and the cards mm. The cards back then was still yeah the rotations and the cards were still really expensive back then you know this, this oh yeah. when, like the best decks were like bane slayer angel and jason mind sculptor and all that mm-hmm. so these these cards were really expensive right um so I, but i would i would you know get some of those cards and then i'd be like oh you know they're rotating this just doesn't feel very good and then yeah you know, it got into standard playing like Callblade and things like that. And then they banned Jace, they banned so mystic, mm. and it's like, you know, there goes the deck. Yeah. Who this, you know, uh, yeah. I, I should be doing something else. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, that's how I got into legacy. Um, and I already had a legacy deck. Um, I had legacy goblins without wastelands and Machado plus. Cause they were so expensive at the time. Right. Um, because I remember watching LSV play, you know, on channel fireball and uh being like, man, this this format looks pretty fucking wild. This the format <laughs> looks pretty wild. And yep. so I built goblins, I had four sting scooters because he was playing reanimator. So I was mm-hmm. like, you have to beat, uh, right, I right. have to be hyper focused on beating reanimator, you know. You gotta beat uh, that one deck, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I started um, you know, I was still playing pretty locally at that time, but I started getting into tournaments proper a lot more seriously. Um, You know, I started dating my partner around that time. We both met playing Magic, and um, we both kind of got into, like really into Legacy together. So we kind of just started building decks and getting, acquiring the cards, and then being like, you know, let's take this up to the next level. You know, we went to an anime convention back in like 2011 or something, and they were holding uh, Legacy 1K. And I was like, you know, let's just play. Let's just do this. this. This seems really cool. This is like the next level of this. Um, and I top eight at that event and, uh, and that, that was kind of all, all they wrote from there. It was just kind of, wait, was that with did. goblins? Um, no, this was after, uh, I, I had the Jaces and, uh, and stuff. So this was, this was like old school. It was, uh, called Miracle Blade back then. Ah, uh, okay. So it was like so,
1: Cobblade, but for Legacy, you, you took some Yeah,
0: it had, it had, uh, this is just released, um, this deck had, four tops for counterbalance uh oh had, my bad not not the squadron hawks way better cards yeah oh yeah much much more powerful <laughs> uh it had cool tricks you could do with like flipping top into terminus and bouncing mm-hmm. maddiskull and getting them back mm-hmm. into play mm-hmm. um and yeah because it just made it just made so much sense i had the jaces mm-hmm. uh, i had the stoneforge mystics you know it it took a while to accrue the cards and get everything together but um and I, I also remember a really formative experience back at that time, um, a friend of mine, Alex, who, who I still talk to, maybe he'll listen to this. Um, I remember just like, you know, playing playing some magic with him. He was never really that into magic, but you know, I, I had some legacy decks and I was like, okay, you can play with me. And I was playing like Dr. Foundry, you know, just just, just garbage. The decks and i could have been i could have just easily been playing stoneforge mystic or jace or miracle right. you know miracles whatever right and i was like you know i could build the good decks but you know i'm just gonna build this and i remember him being like what if you could just build a deck that's gonna win all the time why not just play that and i was like i okay. literally carry that with me every day for the past 10 years
1: mm-hmm. so um it's very good advice yeah it's
0: very good advice so just play just play the good cards
1: yeah just play the good cards although that's an interesting story too because uh also, I I have a sense that you're you're more accommodating. So unlike Jacks, you know, in at the Magic Club, like you want to get people to learn things in a kind of more friendly way, right? You don't want to like teach them magic and then crush them. So yeah. I, I I have a would you say that's true? Like you, you try to get you try to be more welcome, even though you yourself are kind of more like a spike, but
0: you you're trying to be welcoming to other players. I would def- I would definitely say that's true, and that has been true for years now i would say at a certain point in the past that has not been true um i okay. think um you know it's easy to i i there's a there's like a bell curve on uh, image like it always stands out to me it's like uh you know I, or maybe it's not a bell curve but it's like evaluating how pleasant a magic player is mm-hmm. and it's like the, the the PTQ winner is just, like, the least pleasant player, but the FNM player is really pleasant and the actual good player is really pleasant, and then mm. there's this whole thing in between. Yeah. And I was never, like, a huge joke or anything. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I guess people listening to this might correct me. I think <laughs> that was never really the case. Um, but, uh, you know, there was definitely a period where it was, like, I only knew how to take things, like, magic seriously and kind of only knew how to, like, be a spike. And just, I had to Learn to be, to, to not be like that, to be like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can play casually, I can enjoy this game and just walk around and have fun with people. And mm-hmm. now I'm ve- very firmly now. It's all, uh, you know, I'm hyper aware of, you know, the when I play with somebody, it's not about winning. Yeah, it's, it's really about what their goals are when they're playing. Not what mm-hmm. my goals are when we're playing. Because if mm-hmm. they if they want to play really casually, I I would love to play casually, make sure we're on the same page, everybody's having a good time. But you know, if they want to play seriously and they want to improve, I can you know guide them more gently and kind of give give uh, advice, but only when it's like appropriately solicited and everything like that. So um, yeah, I, I think definitely now I'm very much in on being as accommodating as possible.
1: Mm -hmm. but it was a kind of an evolution.
0: It was kind of an evolution. You know, I think, uh, you know, I always say that the most development I've had as a person came about in my like mid to late twenties. You know, that's when I really hit my stride and learned who I wanted to be and my identity and how to be a good person and all of this. Um, you know, it's definitely a process uh, you know, I'm not just, go- and it's a process that's dictated by my interactions with people and the people around me helping me on this process and growth. And I'm, I'm really fortunate. I've had a lot of people around me that are willing to be like, you know, have conversations with this, uh, uh have conversations about this with me, but also be willing to deal with me when I was being a, you know, a dick or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. or, or we're not the, the coolest person in the world. Um, yeah, I I it definitely was a process, but it's a process I'm that I'm happy to have gone through because I really needed to uh you know become a become a better person.
1: Speaking of helping you, I know that as of now, you are like probably one of the top echelon of legacy magic players and and writers. Like you have a regular piece on channel fireball, people which is actually really interesting because I guess you started off playing magic or competitive because of LSV and it's kind of like now you're writing for channel fireball. It's kind of come full circle
0: and it's definitely not lost on me. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: I love that. And, and it's like, you're a very well-respected voice now in legacy, but to get to where you are today, like, you know, you mentioned winning the one K and getting more competitive, but who really helped you like make the the level up? Was it all kind of like self-awareness and just, figuring things out for yourself, or do you think there were specific people or moments that helped you?
0: Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's really a lot about people and moments for sure. So I think, of course, I, as I said, I grew up kind of playing competitively with uh, my partner. Um, that, that was huge to have somebody to play with and run ideas off of. And they, they don't play competitively anymore. Um, that's not really for them. They still play Magic. They play casually. But for that stage, that was really important. Um, I really fostered, uh, kind of a local community, um, around me. Is this upstate
1: New York? Is that where you are? Yeah, this is
0: upstate New York. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, uh, people, some people, I don't really talk too much anymore. Some of which I do, um, that I was definitely always the best player in the group, but just having people to talk to and just play all the time was really good. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think you know my next level up from there was uh, Magic Online I think Magic Online helped a lot in that way Um, you know that's not that's not people or moments really that's just that's a kind of a different thing but always having somebody always having the ability to play whenever I want and Mm -hmm. always having the competition be really high was really good Mm -hmm. Um, but then you know honestly I was probably pretty stagnant for a long time but um, I think uh, and I, somebody I sent you to chat to, Chris, um, I, I think he's one of the most important players and he's a good friend of mine too. Um, but in terms of magic playing, he's one of the most important players for my growth because he's incredible at the game and he has a specific way of playing that... I really just learned so much from. Um, he's like, he, he's really known for like one to five aggro, where it's just aggro decks that curve, like up, up the curve, they play, use all the mana every turn. And just like seeing the way he evaluates and seeing the way he thinks, um, it really just helped me apply it to myself and just uh, learned so much from that. Because one of the problems with being a legacy player is and like exclusively being a legacy player forever. I, I, as I said, I basically got into legacy, and then that's the only format I played. Um, you really skip a lot of important aspects of what makes a good magic player. You skip a lot of basics, you, you jump right into these advanced concepts. And what, how do you sideboard against Storm? Yeah. And what do you keep this hand of triple force of will against a deck that's trying to kill you on turn one? It's like th- this stuff th- isn't magic, you know, that stuff's not the, the fundamentals. Um, and from him. I really learned a lot about the importance of fundamentals and Mm. I was able to kind of take that and learn, okay, well uh, you know, you need to sequence your, your spells. It's better to be the aggressive rather than the defender, because if you're applying pressure, you're forcing them into situations. So um, I I would say he was definitely a huge influence on me. Um, And there were, uh, you know, I think I do ingest a lot of, content and information and stuff on my own that that really helped but um i would definitely say um chris in the later stages of my life was a, a huge part for me leveling up
1: speaking of chris he said that you witnessed the single worst turn of magic ever played what's that about
0: <laughs> oh, oh good god oh god we have a friend um colin style shout out to colin styles uh I, I, man, I hope I don't recount any of this information incorrectly, but, um, God. It's more fun when
1: the story changes over time, to be honest. Yeah, yeah.
0: It it was a legacy event. It was SCG Worcester in 2017, and he was playing Reanimator. um, God, and he reanimated a Chancellor of the Annex on turn one or two or whatever it was, um, And his opponent phantasmal imaged the Chancellor of the Annex, Mm -hmm. which Colin went to go abrupt gay, which, okay, not only can you not do because it's a seven drop now, because now it's the Chancellor of the Annex, um, but then his opponent went past days on the abrupt decay. (laughs) so if you if you were able to target the phantasma image it would have been sacrificed right away but it was a seven drop so you couldn't abrupt decay it to which his opponent dazed Uh now no no chancellor triggers have been mentioned in all of this okay and then on top of this colin paid for the abrupt decay Uh and i'm sure there's like a step there i'm missing but it's just the most it's just was the most heinous thing it was just the most heinous thing Uh, I, I've ever heard of. Usually <laughs> when people come up to you at the end of a magic event and they're like, I have to tell you what happened to my around. It's like, it probably isn't that big of a deal. You know, it's mm-hmm. like some kind of bad. Beat probably some bad. It. beat, Yeah. Yeah. But this was just so over the top. There's no way I could possibly do it justice. Uh, yeah. It was just such a moment.
1: It was like a uh, what, what do you call this? Like a collective brain fart. But it wasn't just one. But it was like a whole series of them just setting off yeah. emotion.
0: Yeah, it's like when people are just like processing entirely, entirely on intuition and not like really thinking about it. They're just like, okay, just decision, 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 decision. Mm-hmm. It's just like, okay, this all makes sense. I know how to play Magic. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it was it was just hilarious.
1: It, it's it's funny, but there's a fine line too, right? Because I've seen you play in some of the coverage stuff, and you have made plays in the past that were more based on intuition. So kind of like the the fine line between doing that because you're just sort of. Autopiloting, maybe with abrupt decays or dazes, but also like just you have to make unconventional plays sometimes, right? So do you remember plays that you've made that were quite notable, maybe in a tournament
0: setting? Uh so before I even answer that, I'll address the intuition thing. I was okay. um, I think uh, I'm actually very influenced by LSV on this. Um, LSV and he I was just listening to a limited resource podcast where he was talking about the importance of practiced intuition. Uh. Um, and how that's kind of how he plays which is you know you just when you have enough practice you just kind of trust your gut and you just kind of go with the plays that seem reasonable and um, that's how I play at this point I'm not like I can I can analyze I can process situations but a lot of times I'm just kind of going with my gut and like I'll just have reads on what my opponents have that aren't really based on anything it's just like I'm pretty sure they have this i'm pretty sure they have that here's what it looks like they they've been representing this uh, reads game. developed
1: from experience or some sort yeah, of like exactly
0: okay exactly and i'll I'll just go i'll, I'll just go with that flow so I, I do play a lot on with the the practice intuition but when it comes to um non-conventional plays yeah there's definitely a few i think honestly um uh i you know it, it's not it's actually not a play that happened but uh i it was it was pretty cool I kind of wished I wished it had happened. It was in the it was actually in the finals of SEG Syracuse where uh, I'm playing against Black Green Turbo Depth. And I it's game three, and I just successfully vapor snagged a merilage back to David Long's hand, well and you know, getting rid of it forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just not in a situation where I could beat um, uh, another Merit Lodge particularly easily because mm-hmm. he didn't cast a single spell. He basically went Urborg, Desbian Stage, Jug Depths, Right. Right. And then he did his thing. And then he played Deathbeam Stage. And I'm like, okay, I, I have no recourse. I'm, i use my paper tag. I don't have a wasteland. Mm-hmm. How do I actually beat another Merit Lodge? So it'd
1: be really bad if he rebuilt basically the same thing. Exactly.
0: Um, but I was per- I I spent a, a minute and I prepared for that because. I had a line that involved casting Lightning Bolt at the end of my book. I had a young Power Manager in play. I was getting some tokens, and I could cast Lightning Bolt on David at end of turn, daze it, and then daze the daze in order to make enough tokens mm-hmm. to overcome the Merrillage. So if he had the ability to just go land, make a twenty twenty, I would be able to deal him exactly lethal with the Lightning Bolt enough tokens. He blocked mm-hmm. my young Power Manager, and it would kill him. Um, he didn't have anything, and I just killed him with lightning bolt. Okay. Uh, from there, but I, I always thought that line was really cool. Uh, yeah, and I, it's just that's like playing your outs. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's the kind of thing that's important to keep in mind, and and this goes back to what I was just saying with LSV, where it's like if you can like have effective practiced intuition and effective mm-hmm. autopilot, um, you actually get to dedicate the brain power to these more complex plays, because um, you know I think. Um, Magic games are really won on small edges a lot of times. Um, you know what? All the time. I, I honestly think almost all my games are win on small edges. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I think a lot of the big plays people can generally get. Um, but there's there's really small. Okay, here's here's a really bizarre line uh, that you can actually take to win. Um, those those are cool to find. Um, it's it's cool to think about those. OG Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. You just realized in that match, or at that point, it was, it didn't, the stack didn't matter. So, dazing your own stuff to go for Xaxis was, yeah. uh, was the, was the line. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. So, okay. I guess we have to kind of bring this up. Um, you know, you had a lot of great magic success, and I think Syracuse is the one that you won. Am I, am I right? Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, but, you know, I think you've been pretty open also about, just ups and downs as a Magic player, the mental aspects of the game. You've even talked to me about it today. So yeah. tell me about what it meant to you to, to win that event and sort of how it perhaps changed you as a Magic player or as a person.
0: Yeah, it's it's really interesting. That, that whole situation, the, the whole SEG Syracuse is just really just... Um, like a, so a vessel
1: for something else or...
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I won. And obviously, you know, it felt it felt good. It, like the moment you can see the moment on camera where my hands touched my head. I was so relieved to be in that situation. I never honestly like I really couldn't picture myself in that situation. It, it was wild to be there. Um, and it was kind of the culmination of, um, you know, not just a long time of playing Magic, but a long time of near misses. Uh, you know, I remember the first SEG I had a deep run at, SEG Jersey 2016, I drew myself with the knife and that felt really that felt really bad. I could have just played and I, I probably would have won my match. I was playing Miracles um, and, I, and it, that, that really sucked. And uh, then the next SEG I played after that, I topated with Miracles again and I was like, okay, I'm breaking through. And then after that, you know, uh, all my SEGs, uh, that I went to, I they were like five of them in between. I top 16 all of them, but none of them were bringing me back to the top eight. And it was just like, it felt like I was hitting this wall and I just couldn't overcome this wall. And so when I actually did finally top eight SDG Seracuse, I was just not only so relieved to be there again, but I really didn't want to pass up this opportunity. It was the, when I played uh, the SEG Philly is the one I top eighted before that. The top eight was the goal. So it was like, okay, I want to get there and cool. It, you know, I played my hardest in know when I got in the top eight, but after that, it was kind of just like I made the top eight. It doesn't really matter what happened. But SEG SAQ it was like I really want to, I really want to go as deep as possible. I'm gonna I'm gonna try really hard. I really liked my deck. Uh, I thought I, I was playing pretty well. Um, so I really wanted to make a as deep of a run as possible. And, you know, this is something that people probably don't know about me, um, is that I get horrible nerves in a kind of just like b- b- in so many situations. I just get horrible nerves in a lot of situations. I don't have the nerves when I'm in a moment, when I'm in a heated moment. If I'm playing a game of magic, if I'm doing anything, like a- anything that involves focusing, I, I- the nerves completely dissipate. So
1: it's before uh, the moment. It's like when you're ruminating, as you said.
0: Yeah, exactly and um, I always equate it to like uh, a roller coaster it's that feeling of going up um, it, which I hate I hate roller coasters um, but I get horrible nerves in, in those situations but uh, and so I was just like kind of a wreck and kind of just not, not really able to focus or anything um, but you know it it felt really good it, to win you know uh, I, I remember because I was sending you articles, you know, I, I wrote, you know, that I thought were uh, well-written or whatever. And one of the ones I sent was from SG Circus. And I actually didn't remember this until I read it, where my partner was like, reminded me of my mantra. It's like, okay, second place, is the best place in the tournament besides ninth. And it's like, well, I already felt ninth. So I really didn't want to feel second. So I really wanted to win. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's so interesting because after I won, it was great, cool. Um, but, you know, I know, I, I know myself. Uh, I know where my brain goes. So I expected kind of it to be kind of a temporary thing. You know, I knew that it was like, okay, this feels good. This is cool. But my brain was kind of immediately going to move away from that and just kind of be like, okay, well, you know, what's next? You know what I mean? Um, And the other thing I expected was to put undue pressure on myself from that uh, at the next, you know, Few months because you feel like, like you have to
1: repeat it somehow
0: exactly um but really what I and and you know both of those definitely came true but what I really didn't expect was a sense of kind of emptiness and that's really what I got from it it was just it felt like I met a goal that I wanted to achieve, and I didn't know if it was a goal worth achieving. At the end of it, um, it kind of left me in a situation where I felt like I didn't know anything about what I wanted or what it was right like for me, um, and. That's, that's kind of a theme. That's, that's a big theme in my life for sure. And I've always felt kind of aimless in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I I worked at a job, you know, it was, it was a family business, but I really hated my job. Um, I, 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 it was not bringing me any sense of fulfillment at all. It was pretty routine. Um, It sounded like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it felt like it wasn't really using the best of, of me, of my capabilities. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, even up until that point, I I got my master's degree in 2015 in psychology, but uh, it's weird to say, but that also felt pretty aimless uh, because I was just kind of following through the motions. I got my psychology degree in undergrad in 2013, and then I was like, well, what's next? Graduate school. So I just did graduate school. I didn't really have a goal and I didn't really know what I wanted. And I think, you know, combining the fact that I didn't really like my job, you know, I had a degree that I, I don't regret at all. I learned a lot from that. Um, but magic kind of filled that void in a lot of ways where it was like, okay, well, you know what, maybe I don't need a fulfilling job. I can just have a really fulfilling hobby. I'm good at, Mm -hmm. um,
1: it's kind of like the compartmentalization of life, right? It's like, yeah, you want to get that fulfillment somehow. So as long as one part of your life gives it to you, whether it's magic or work or personal, then you're good. But the moment when that fulfillment is supposed to happen or continue to happen, but it doesn't, that's when you're like,
0: what the fuck, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's just like, you know, and I think there's a lot more uh, magic is magic is not a good thing to place your um, kind of life importance in. Uh, you know, I love I love this game so much to death. I could play it all the time. I could talk about it for endless en- endlessly. But magic is kind of a magic. It's so easy to a- a- uh, connect it to your self worth. It's so easy. It just just naturally your self worth just becomes part of magic because it's something that's really challenging that people have to be really good at to succeed at but there's a lot of variance. There's a lot of different factors that go into it. And it just constantly feels like you aren't good enough, you know, or if you succeed, it's not enough because magic's also a game of the carrot constantly moving, you know, with me winning SEG Syracuse, it's like, well, in a week, it's going to be irrelevant and it's just about the next tournament. So right. it doesn't really matter. You're now. only as
1: good as your last tournament kind of. Deal. Exactly.
0: Um, and I, you know, I, I've spent a decent portion of m- maybe like 2015 to 2018 kind of associating a lot of myself with the magic, um, which definitely led me to be in a really bad mental state. And and I've I've always kind of dealt with depression. I've always definitely experienced uh, really negative emotions about myself in that way. Um, and I think magic kind of exacerbated that because it's the thing I'm good at. I should be doing well at this, but the fact that I'm not, you know, all the time, because no one can consistently just always do well at magic, Mm magic, magic's really hard and magic's also really random. So there's just so many things that go into that. Um, And it really, it really took its toll on me during that time. And I was able to, I was able to take a step I was able to reevaluate my life in that way and be like, you know what? I am associating too much of myself with the magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me, let me reassess. And I, I, during that era, I did get in a much, much healthier mindset with how I was watching the game and everything. But then came again, this SEG Syracuse win. And it wasn't, it's just so, it's so, such a weird juxtaposition to be like, okay, well, I met my goal and I'm feeling empty what does that mean for me? What does that mean for what I've spent all my time doing? Right. What's the point of anything? Um, and it led to me, it led to like my worst state of depression kind of I've ever been in. It was, it was really wild. It kind of getting confronted with the fact that the thing I've spent so much time on wasn't the thing I wanted to do or wasn't the thing that was going to make me happy. Wasn't the thing that was going to make me fulfilled. Um, while simultaneously, the other parts of my life that I didn't like, namely my my career, my job, um, wasn't bringing me fulfillment. It just kind of left me just so empty. It was just such a horrible, just such a horrible experience and feeling um, to try to overcome that.
1: Well, at the risk of trivializing, uh, how did you get out of that? Was there something that you proactively tried to do? Was it just time pass and that helped a lot? Or like, how, how would you describe that process? Uh,
0: I got therapy. I got therapy and it helped, it helped a lot. Um, it, it took me, it took me months after that. I didn't get to start going to my therapist until August of that year. And Syracuse was in March. Um, and part of that was Part of that was stigma. Despite having a psychology degree and being aware of stigma, you know, I still experience that because it's like, okay, I should be dealing with my problems on my own. I should be able to get through it. Um, Part of that was bad experiences in high school with therapists where it was like, okay, this really just didn't work out for me. Um, But, you know, it was so clear to me that I needed to do it. And more to me, it was so clear to my partner that I, I needed to go to therapy. It was so important. Um, and it's it really helped me, I mean, in just so many ways. I mean, I still, I still see my therapist, she's, she's great. Um, and it just helped me, like, not only reframe so many of the situations and so many of my thoughts that I go through, Oh, my thoughts that I have um, and the situations I've gone through, um, but also just kind of kind of retell my life story and have a better perspective on myself. And it just helped me kind of, you know, it it is a cathartic experience too to always be able to have somebody that, you know, you can talk to. And Mm -hmm. at the end of it, it was like, okay, magic wasn't fulfilling for me. Um, I have to find what is fulfilling for me that it became that's the focus you know mm-hmm. it's like um you know finally giving myself some purpose and some goal um, mm-hmm. that was really good so uh you in this way and i this is definitely a very privileged position to be in uh but once covid happened i i i lost my job from that because i couldn't work because of covid um and that was finally the push i needed to go back to school and, uh, you know, take a chance because um, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure. Again, I really I was still kind of aimless. I really didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what was right for me. Um, mm-hmm. But my therapist helped push me to see that, OK, maybe uh, counseling, maybe being a therapist myself can be something that is going to bring me fulfillment because it's so that's what really you're studying realize. towards. Now. Yep. Yep. I'm, I just started my internship. Um, and I think. Um, i think it was everything was right she helped me kind of understand that okay uh, i i'm i do care about people i right. right? i think people are also just really interesting um as you said i'm i kind of accommodating in that way um, as well and at the same time you know when i like i've changed a lot and i think that was another uh, another barrier to getting into uh, that but your cat, yeah, very, yeah. Very, this, is,
1: uh, this is this is Burger. He's very uh, he notices when people are not noticing him and yeah, wants to get that, in front of the computer. as cats do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, I think when I was going for my psychology degree the first time, it was like, okay, well, I'll help people. That that'll be the primary impetus. But then it didn't take me long, you know, at this time in my life to be like, you know. I don't really like people very much. And this is like 2012 or whatever. And I was like, okay, so let me pursue research in psychology. And I did, I got my degree in that, I got my graduate degree in that. And again, I didn't really do anything with that. So it was, it took a lot to reframe the situation and be like, you know, maybe, maybe I actually should have, maybe that is right for me. And I shouldn't have gone back into it. I shouldn't have gone into it back then. I was not in the right headspace. It was not, right time for me Mm -hmm. um but you know it seemed like it could be reasonable it seemed like it could be fulfilling you know helping other people really just uh, i really think everybody should be getting therapy it's it's a hill i'll a a hill i'll die on because i think a lot of people have a lot of stuff a lot of different issues that need to get unpacked and discussed Mm -hmm. and there's just so many layers to the the human psyche and what you think about yourself and and all the issues people have experienced. And um, I decided, you know, I was going to take a shot at myself because I didn't know if it was right. I didn't know if I would like it. And I was really nervous because it was like, uh, what if this isn't for me? I'm going to dedicate all my time. But it's like, it's giving me a chance to be happy. And I think, you know, I think I, at that point in my life, I thought I deserved the chance to be happy um and as i said at the top I, I am happy this is kind of like the happiest i've ever been so it, it worked out very well so I'm, I'm really pleased about that
1: i do agree with your sentiment that everyone should should try to seek some sort of outside help or therapy when it comes to figuring things out because we just we're just not i mean i can only speak from my experience right but i just feel like we're we're just not that well equipped in society to grow up with any of the tools or mechanisms to actually figure that out for ourselves. It's kind of like, look at the self-help book industry. There's millions or billions of books out there, but it all starts with self-awareness. It's like, you have to first realize that you want to do something before that can be done. So it's not like the, the problem now isn't the lack of information, but it's just like putting it together and also customizing it in a way that makes sense for your personal situation now i'm not a i'm not like you rich i'm not a trained professional but i've i've done it i've done sessions before like as a as a i don't know what to call that like as a patient or something so so yeah um so i know it's like because it 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 helps you sort of unpack the past and just kind of go through your childhood and realize that you are who you are today and you have certain behaviors just or reactions or triggers just based on your, your past upbringing. And that's not, it is what it is. It's not like it, it forces you to confront that. Now, I'm not sure if like all therapists do that, but I definitely went through that and it it helped, you know?
0: Yeah. There's, there's I mean, of course there's a lot of different uh, approaches to therapy and a lot of different kind of modalities in that way. But I think, I, I think the thing you said was so important. Society, this American society, or just... Or just Western also, society. West, let's Western yeah. society in general, um, really doesn't place high emphasis on the importance of mental health in general. And it hasn't in the past. And the effect of that to the present is that a lot of people who are being raised by parents, who, whoever they're being raised by, aren't placing that emphasis because they also have that mental health stigma that's associated with it. Well, only crazy people go to therapy. Only you know people who have serious issues go to therapy. You know, that's, that's, not a, that's not appropriate. And a lot of people just don't have their mental health appropriately addressed. And, you know, people will go to the doctor for routine checkups and just not even think about a second eye about how their mental health is having such a uh, more significant impact on their well-being than their physical health in a lot of ways, um, and I, I think it's just really important. There's so many different, um, so many different issues. It can be issues from your past that it, it's influencing your your uh, self-talk in the present or your feelings in the present. It can be just you know the way you're you're having difficulties in your interpersonal relationships and why that would be happening. There's just so many different elements. It's so important, um, and I think it would be. It's just really important for people, and and of course, you know, at at least in America, uh, it's expensive, which is which is a huge barrier. Uh, You know, uh, the problems with insurance in America are problematic, and Mm -hmm. the cost of therapy is high. It's really high. Um, A lot of people can't get it, and that that's really rough. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, I, I think if people have the opportunity, they absolutely should, even even just for a couple of sessions, just to. know try to try to unpack some stuff try to you know figure out a little bit more about themselves because it's also it's a really powerful self-growth experience too where Mm -hmm. you're just like okay i have a lot to learn about myself in this situation and why i do things so Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. so how would you describe your relationship with the game of magic the gathering today because i didn't know before this conversation that you went through this stuff and i really appreciate you sharing you're obviously still playing Magic. You're writing about Magic. You're streaming Magic. I love your streams. So I still watch them. So clearly you've turned the corner somehow, but how would you describe it in your own
0: words? I think I've, at this point, I've deprioritized it. Um, I think the focus is much more on uh, succeeding in school, uh, succeeding in my career and really focusing on, on that. Um, it's really nice to have something um, I'm kind of applying o- almost as much effort as I would have to in the past to to school. And it's weird to have that kind of motivation. You know, I didn't think I'd have that much motivation. You
1: didn't think you'd be so focused and motivated on that?
0: Yeah, yeah. Because in the past, you know, I've, I've always been a, a very academically minded. School isn't like, you know, that hard for me. But I haven't been motivated in the past because I really wasn't on the right path. And I was motivated for magic, and now it's weird to kind of be taking that intrinsic motivation and applying it to school. So it has led to me deprioritizing magic, um, but I still play very frequently. Um, it's uh, and I think it's it's also a little weird because this positive growth and this positive, you know, experience with my school was happening with COVID simultaneously. So it's like how much was influenced by school how much was influenced by covid it's all in there yeah exactly so it's hard to be like uh well i've I've de-emphasized it because i only care about school well it's like i've also de-emphasized it because i had to because of covid Mm
1: -hmm. other factors Um, yeah
0: yeah so but uh i think now i'm kind of just engaging with it a lot more you know like casually competitively you know it's like just mm, i haven't i haven't even played a tournament um i haven't played a paper tournament since they've been back over here in america um i haven't played an online tournament in months but that's not too far out of the norm for me either because i i think at this point you know i guess when it goes back to deprioritizing um you know i'll choose to spend time with people over player tournament i i think you know it's so clear at this point the importance of of people and relationships and seeing and people i care about and being with the people i care about um so you know if even if it's just like i i could go out for breakfast and go for a walk on sunday or play a tournament i'll probably go for the walk you know yeah um because it's just like it's just good it cultivates it's just makes me feel better um yeah. and, and i do miss playing magic tournaments i hope to you know get back into that and the you know the fire has kind of wax and waned a little yeah. bit there are days yeah. where i'm like oh man i really miss playing the magic tournaments." but i am mean, i'm engaging with it in a really really good way and you know this is all to say i at the point of which i won SDG stg uh, syracuse i was engaging with magic in a really healthy way it's just like a really interesting like yeah it's more like a self-examination company. after the fact exactly. yeah exactly yeah. you know um because like Changing the perspective, and I I think this was happening before, you know, like the start of like 2019, before SDG Syracuse, late 2018. Um, The perspective that, you know, it's just uh, winning and losing isn't everything. You know, it's like winning is fleeting, losing is fleeting. It's all going to kind of come and go as things happen. Um, And just like taking losses gracefully and being like, I lost, cool. I'm going to go hang out with my friends. I'm going to go do whatever I'm going to do. It's a really good place to be. And it's, I'm really, present Rich is really fortunate that past Rich spent time developing that and Mm -hmm. going through uh, situations where, you know, I I might've been taking my losses too hard or I've I've been, you know, uh, having more difficulties and more disappointments or frustrations towards myself. I'm really fortunate to be in a situation where now I can engage with it and just say, okay cool you know i'm just gonna play magic and i'm gonna enjoy it and it's great so it's nice that's
1: good that's good You've, you found a better a better balance i would say
0: yeah definitely for sure
1: yeah that's just good i'm just happy for you that you you kind of figured that out because i have this weird relationship with Magic too, like not to make it about me, right? This is about you, but I, I can relate to some of what you're saying, which is obviously I'm not anywhere near the the level of results that you've achieved or things like that. But I like to play magic. I, I, I like to win when I play magic the times that I did. And I'm sort of in that stage now too, where it's like if I could choose to do almost literally anything versus playing a challenge on the weekend and take and it takes six to eight hours of sitting on my computer. Yeah. I would probably pick that other thing just because I think I you know I joke about it but I think magic magic in life is about opportunity costs right so mm-hmm. uh I always have this I always like to joke that you know if all the magic players banded together in the world and did non-magic things because everybody's so smart and driven yeah we probably have world peace by now we have we probably <laughs> would have cured cancer or something <laughs> crazy because it, it's just incredible how many great minds are in the game that they figure something out but they choose to apply themselves in playing this card game and i'm not trying to trivialize the card game because i've been there like i was i was super i would i dare say i was addicted to magic online Mm. like for the last two three years because that's when i started playing three years ago i was just like this is like a dopamine hit like i can play anytime anytime i can fire up a league and it's like magic just makes you feel like I can always get better and that's that's the danger of magic too is that when you have when you start having that self-awareness it's like yeah. you see where you misplayed because if you didn't have that awareness you'd be like fine right but now mm-hmm. you have this awareness it's like this thing that keeps nagging at you it's like yeah I, if I only did that a little bit better uh technically or whatever then I could I could like now 50 this league instead of four1 this league and you're just like chasing these goals that yeah you realize don't really matter right and it's it's kind of it's kind of dangerous in a way and i'm I'm sort of glad that i kind of i got myself out of it by getting busy in other projects like for example this podcast and yeah i'm so glad that i did because i just think about maybe the two three thousand hours i played magic online and it's just like what could i have done in that time right it's not like i really regret it but it it really does make you think right
0: yeah for sure i think i think it's so easy to fall into bad habits with magic um you know and, and it make it makes sense the game is so good it, the game is just amazing it's just there's so many not only just you know from us who play legacy and we play on this one competitive level the game has so much to offer for so many people you know yeah. it's it's got this casual element to it it's got uh you know semi-serious it's got extremely com- a highly professional magic it's It's just so many aspects of it. And it's so fucking cool. It's such a good game. Um, But it's just, yeah, it's really easy to just start getting so hard on yourself. And because, you know, one of the things that's most obnoxious about Magic is that, and this is is probably true for a lot of different things, but uh, I've experienced this mostly in Magic, um, is that you know, your wins get de-emphasized and your losses feel much more impactful. And, you know, because it really is about, you know, your your own assessment and other people's assessment of, of you and what success is, is really not like, it, not about like anything, but being as successful as possible. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, you start getting this emphasis on yourself where it's like, oh, you know, I I went 3-2 instead of 4-1. And it's like, oh man, that loss was so fucking hard. I need to go take a walk. That was so upsetting. And it's like, no, it's... it's, this. First of all, it was probably just a really small thing that happened that made that difference. Mm -hmm. Second of all, it's like, it's just a loss. Just move Mm -hmm. on. And on top of that, it's like, you know... The, it, the difference between three, two, and four when it's not so significant, you know, and this really, my, my frustration—I'm I'm probably going to start ranting at some point here, but uh, oh, my frustration do. really, com- my frustration really comes out when it comes to tournament results it, because yep. it's so fucking stupid how first place means everything and second place means nothing to the. The wider community. Uh-huh. You know, it's like most people just forget about the person who comes in second. Nobody cares. It's like the but gold it,
1: medal thing, right? Like, silver exactly. doesn't mean that much. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And, it, you know, I, I get where that comes from. But in a game so high invariant, in a game that, you know, reward like should reward consistency, people just only care about the person who won. And it's just ridiculous. People put such an emphasis on results and achievements and accolades. And it's like, honestly, it doesn't matter. Like it not only does it not matter in the larger scale of things of humanity or whatever, mm-hmm. but it also doesn't matter in terms of being a magic player because just because you got, you know, you top eight instead of top four or you got ninth or whatever, like you still did great. You know, you yeah. still had a great result. You still had a great tournament and it's just so ridiculous and it's ridiculous to the point of being upsetting that it just turns into... Uh, you know people only caring about crossing those barriers it's because that carrot's always moving it's because it's always the the goal is is winning and it, it, it honestly I don't love that aspect of it I love competing but I don't love the emphasis on accolades I don't love the emphasis on meeting the bar of results because it just, makes people feel bad that's, that i think that's what it comes down to mm-hmm. i think it's people just start feeling like shit because it's like oh i couldn't cross this barrier i couldn't yeah. you know uh, i got 17th instead of 16th i must be a horrible fucking magic player you know what i mean mm-hmm. and it's like obviously that's not true obviously you know it, it, it's not the case but it's it's ridiculous it honestly is a little ridiculous.
1: There's also another thing that I, I I suspect may be ridiculous, so you have to comment on it. You know, you're Rich Kelly, so it's like if you are playing in a tournament, or someone sees you playing in a tournament. I mean, I've seen you play in a tournament. I think I played SCG Syracuse like pre-pandemic, and I saw you there. I didn't know you very well, and I but I, I was like, oh, that's uh, that's Rich Kelly. Like, you know, he won this thing, and it's like then there's this sort of out of body experience where it's like people have expectations of you now. And it's not even anything that goes on in your mind. So how how do you feel about that part? It's like, it's almost like, you know, people just expect you to to top eight something. And it's not an ego thing. I'm just saying there's now people, other people with expectations of you. And it's not about you anymore. It's like an out-of-body experience, you know?
0: That's a really interesting question because that's something I've absolutely had to deal with um, as you know, like, I, again, I'm not, I'm not like a, a huge venture player. I'm not like LSV or whatever. But it no, is but, they see you sit, but we, we see you it. sit
1: down in the legacy tournament. We're like, yeah, the, the Rich is probably going to make a run here, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's Yeah, it's a really interesting question. It's really easy to hmm, You're going to have to edit some of this out because I'm definitely No problem. Think about this for a second. Yeah.
1: It's kind of an unfair question too. It's like, you know, how how do you feel about how
0: other people feel about you, right? Like how do you answer that? So No, I think No, I think I think it's a really I don't even think it's unfair. I think it's a really interesting question because I've I've thought about it and I Okay, so like
1: it's like there's no longer Rich Kelly the the person. It's like Rich Kelly the the magic player thing uh, entity who is there, you know?
0: I think people have a tendency to dehumanize a lot of times where they'll look at things like that. They'll look at it like that's an entity. It's not just a person trying to play magic. Um, I've, you know, I do have out of body experiences when when I read things and occasionally it happens, uh, where people are like, which is the best Delver player in the world. I don't think I'm the best Delver player in the world. I think I'm a magic player. I think I'm just a person trying to play every turn and, what make every decision correctly, um, and it's a lot to kind of take in because I, you know I don't really I don't really let things go to my head um, in that way, but it's it's hard because facing the expectations of not only the public but people around you and all this kind of situations, it, it's hard, and I think that was way more intense for me like after i've won scg or like after you win a tournament it's like okay the oh, yeah. expectation for you is always just so high yeah
1: um
0: you just kind of have to i i always say I, I i always have to remember no it's not even a matter of remembering i know that i'm just a person playing magic at the end of the day i'm just a person like everybody else who's trying to make my the the correct decisions and you know i sometimes i coach people and they're struggling or whatever and honestly i play i feel like every game of magic i play is close you know i even if it's against people you know sometimes there's blowouts you know i'm, I'm you know there's like five percent on either side where it's just the game wasn't close but there's every game has a ton of decisions you need to make and you need to make so many of them correctly in you know, order for it to go right and it's so hard for me to view myself as
1: as lebron james playing basketball exactly. with a bunch of little kids like you're just so much better exactly than the rest. because
0: it just it just Every because dis- every turn against anyone I'm playing, I still feel like there's decisions. I play casual Magic with friends. I'm just doing a draft, and I'm like, this is a really hard choice I'm having on turn mm-hmm. three, and it's like, you know, so it's there's it becomes edges, hard to- little edges, yeah, yeah, yeah. It becomes, it, it it's, it's kind of impossible for me to think of that. I used to keep I used to keep stats. Um, I don't do this anymore. I don't keep data on myself, and it was uh, the reason I don't do it anymore is, and I know lots of people do, is because I'd look at them and it'd be like, oh, my 100 match results were like 81% win percentage. That's so good. That doesn't mean anything because I'm going to go into the Magic Tournament and I could still just go 0-2 drop. It doesn't matter, you know? Um, So it's like, at the end of the day, I'm just trying to play Magic and just trying to be. And, um, you know, there's, it's weird. It's really weird to have people think, obscene comments that uh, you know I I honestly it's hard to process myself when people say I'm the best or whatever uh, like to, to me I I can't really But pos- uh,
1: be honest like when someone says you're the best legacy player on the planet like how do you feel for that split second or maybe the first time you heard that
0: Um, I mean it, there's a good feeling for sure I mean I can't deny it. it's good um, there's also it's very very out of body it's very mm-hmm. weird Mm-hmm. It's it's extremely odd because to me it's it's not true, but mm-hmm. it you know I I do let myself these days just feel feel good you know mm-hmm. I think in the past it'd be like um, it'd be like oh I'm just gonna be as dismissive as possible and mm-hmm. it's not true or whatever but mm-hmm. and again I I still don't think it's true but it's it's cool that people think that you know accept it, the compliment
1: and stay grounded you mean kind yeah, of yeah exactly
0: exactly um you know it's uh, yeah yeah i I think that's what it comes down to for sure okay
1: well i want to ask you about the uh the ugly e-word which is entitlement like have there been times when you felt entitled because of past success or other reasons to perhaps win a round win a match win a tournament um you sort of touched on it a bit it's kind of like you know when you when an SCG, maybe you feel maybe not entitled, but you feel like you needed to continue. Well, actually, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So, when when have you felt have you felt entitled as a magic player before?
0: It this might be unbelievable, but never. Mm-hmm. I've never felt like I deserve to win or I deserve to do this. Because okay, I've that's not in your vocabulary it. or mindset, no, not at all. Uh, like I've I've met a lot of people who have. Um, it's you're, just, you're looking
1: at someone who has felt that in the past.
0: <laughs> no surprise. Yeah, it's, you know, it's... I can I can see where the trap would be easy to fall into because you do put a lot of preparation in, you put a lot of time, you know, and you feel like you're... you're oh, yeah,
1: you're 81% in your matches against this archetype. So, exactly. you know, you just got really
0: lucky that you beat me, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, I think at the end of the day magic is so hard and there are so many variables that go into it and there's so many so so much variance and sometimes you lose and sometimes you lose to people that are aren't good you know it it happens and it's like you i don't deserve to beat uh you know a a little kid at pre-release because you know like because i've been playing for so long and i'm i'm considered good at magic it's like sometimes I'm just going to only draw two lands in my limited deck and they're going to draw the, you know, their bomb. And it's like, I, I didn't deserve to win that. It, it doesn't, nobody deserves that. Nobody deserves anything in that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, you, you got to just take your experiences and just kind of move on. So I, I'm really, I, I you know, I, I don't know exactly at what point it was like, I, you know, it, I think it goes back, just calls back to the beginning where it's like, I've seen people who are entitled and I've like, I don't want to be that, right? I don't want to be that. This this is not me. This is this is this is such a horrible way to be approaching life that if I I, I can't even imagine going down that route. So
1: mm-hmm. great. All right, so Rich, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I I think there's some fun aspects here as well. Uh, all right, let's do it. I want you to tell me about this uh, restaurant called Alo Moncoco. Oh, and Al- I want I to set this up for me. Like, apparently you visited this establishment when you were in Canada for a music yeah. festival. So tell me about that.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Aloe Coco is a, it's basically like, I guess it's like a diner. It's like a diner chain, I suppose. In I think it's centered in Montreal. There's a lot of them in Montreal. Um, and I went up for, as a graduation gift, uh, for graduate school, uh, my partner got me and uh, me, them, and our friend, uh, tickets to go to Heavy Montreal, uh, uh Heavy Metal uh, Festival up there. And we go up, and everything's great, and we're gonna go get breakfast. And we go to Alamon Coco, a place we've never heard about, and it was amazing, it was so good. It was just the perfect breakfast. It, it's not like at the end of it it's not like oh this was like the the fanciest breakfast it was just really good breakfast just food. solid though right just solid good breakfast food. we loved it it was so good and it's just kind of like a really important um part of like uh, uh, the three of ours friendship um and we went up in again two years after that to a rock uh, uh festival in montebello which is kind of just in the middle of nowhere in canada it's mm-hmm. like a it's like a town with a population of like a thousand people and like two hundred thousand people show up for this festival so it was like wow. the festival was it was neither here nor there but it was yeah. it was hectic but we stayed at some small town kind of outside of that and we really should have just stayed in montreal because it was like half an hour the festival was 30 minutes from montreal we stayed 30 right. minutes from the festival in the opposite direction we drove every day to go get Alamon Coco because we were savages. We loved Alamon Coco. We really should have just stayed in Montreal. And we went to the same, we went to it the first day. It was great. We went there the second day, the waitress recognized us Mm -hmm. and was like, you're back. And we all just like looked at each other and we found a different one for the next day. (laughs) (laughs) We went to a different franchise. We were like, we can't deal with this.
1: Okay. You're recognized, yeah.
0: Yeah, and we were like, this is, this is like, oh, these stupid Americans are coming to Alamoncoco. Like, what, if what, why the fuck are they coming here? So we were, <laughs> we were way too embarrassed.
1: <laughs> and, and tell me about, uh, you know, so apparently you, you went to another Alamoncoco, but somehow that was more important than actually going to the festival. Was that what it was? No, we still went to the festival. Uh, we, we just went there for breakfast. For, okay. For breakfast. Okay. Um, but your, your partner tells me that, uh, you guys ended up being super late to the, to the festival the because festival. you had to make that detour.
0: The fest, we made it every morning and it was honestly probably better than the festival because okay. the, it was again, 200,000 people in a thousand in uh, a thousand population town. It was right. like so stressful and so hectic. There was so many people, you know, people doing drugs off their phone in line. It was complete bedlam. It was just, utter utter ridiculous Yes, yeah. and you know even when there's that many people it's like it's hard to even enjoy the concert because it's like we couldn't move at all and it was like muddy mm-hmm. and it was like it was just really stressful so we were all kind of like burned down on that but the breakfast was really driving us so got it got it
1: do you consider yourself a foodie like a food connoisseur uh
0: i don't think i consider myself a foodie but i do really love food I, okay I, yeah i got food is amazing
1: so tell me why how tell me why you're basically completely vegetarian except for loving burgers like what's the deal with that
0: yeah um so i mostly i just don't like meat um the the taste of meat just doesn't really do it for me the texture of meat doesn't really do it for me uh Uh for so for a long time for most of my adult life i was just I, i just viewed myself as a vegetarian so i was like i don't eat meat um You know, I've had people mistake that for me eating healthy. You know, Uh, Mm. I I eat better. No, it's just a preference. I I eat well now, but, you know, in the past, it was like a lot of pizza and stuff like that. But um, at some point, it was just kind of like, because it was not morally based, um, and it's a little bit more morally based now, you know, it's it's kind of a complicated uh, conversation I have with myself, Um, but because it was just based on taste every now and then I get I my toes in meat and I'm like, do I like this? And I had a burger, uh, you know, one day, a couple of years ago, I was like, I had a couple of drinks in me and I was like, I'll order the burger. Why not? Um, and I liked it. So I was like, okay, so, you know, it's, it's really funny, you know, it leads to some, some bizarre situations. I, I remember I was coming back from, uh, Toronto once for a GP and we stopped at, um, with Texas barbecue. I, I don't, uh, Texas vote House, That's what it's called. And, uh, you know, I, I ordered the burger and he asked me if I want uh, ba- uh bacon bits on it. And my friend, Chris, uh, again, he comes up, uh, he was like, no, he's a vegetarian, which is a hilarious response to somebody who just ordered a burger.
1: Yeah. Uh, the server is
0: probably just doing a double take. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, most, most just don't like meat and, uh, you know, occasionally though, I, I went to Japan and they, there was a, a place that had fried chicken and I, I had that chicken and it was, it was really good. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, uh, you know, on a whim. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like kind of whatever, whatever I want. So mm-hmm. it's a nice way to be, I suppose.
1: <laughs> nice. Nice. So uh, how did you become semi-fluent in Japanese? Like, I, I understand you can read and speak Japanese well enough to get around the country and that's one of your favorite places. So how did, how did you how did you get that level up?
0: Um so mostly okay so I can read, I can't really speak at all. Like I can, I can okay. read Japanese somewhat well. Uh, I haven't really practiced it in a couple of years. Um but uh so it's probably a lot worse than it used to be. But uh, yeah, Japan we went to Japan in 2017 my partner and I and it was just an incredible trip. It was just so such a great place um, so so much fun so so much good food um, we, we really enjoyed everything about it and I took Japanese in undergrad um, but I didn't really retain much of it around that time but when I went to Japan and I could see uh, you know recognizing some of the the hiragana recognizing some of the characters and being like Oh, I can I can kind of read this. I kind of remember it. It's a little bit like the magic thing where it's like, oh, I remember this. You know, uh, maybe I'll just try to get into it a little bit more to, to read it. So, and I knew at some point we were going to go to Japan again. So mm-hmm. I kind of took a deep dive, and I was like, okay, let me let me see if I can learn learn Japanese. Um, and the after researching a little bit, I found some some good resources in order to learn mostly mostly how to read it like uh, you know a lot of people kind of worked the opposite way because kanji is kind of complicated um, and there's a lot of kanji so people kind of learn how to speak it more than how to read it but i kind of just went right into uh, you know learning kanji and as much kanji as i could so so i I can read i can read the characters reasonably well I, i have trouble with the grammar and stuff but
1: okay but good enough to read the magic cards if they were japanese
0: uh, yeah, I actually uh, get most of my magic cards in Japanese so I can like practice when I'm like sitting there with the cards in my hand. So, oh,
1: is that right? Okay. Yeah. So, did yeah. you play magic in Japan as well? Or,
0: uh, I didn't play in any like events or anything, but my partner and I uh, definitely we did a lot of Voxester drafts with packs, uh-huh. uh, which was a lot of fun. You know, we'd get like six packs. Guilt of Avnica was out um, the second time we went. So, we did a lot of those and we found some really cheap Kentucky packs. We'd have to look up all the cards cuz it's been like 10 years since we played Kentucky. But mm-hmm. yeah, we definitely put a lot of magic between ourselves. And Japan. It was a lot of fun. And That's it was awesome. it was cool like in Akihabara um they have uh it's like there were like 10 12 magic shops like in just the small part of the city cuz it's like uh, kind of like their their tech center. It's kind mm-hmm. of like uh hip uh, young people kind of uh, inhabiting it so we went to a McDonald's and they had signs that like had like two people playing cards with a big X through it so you know which I thought was like really funny because I guess people go there all the time to play so it was pretty funny.
1: Yeah. Akihabara is great like they have all oh. those uh, used video game and video game console shops as well it's just yeah. like incredible stuff it's like just going to a
0: museum yeah. it really is You just and you could just never run out of things to do honestly like it's yeah. it's just so many different experiences really really cool
1: What's your favorite thing about Japan?
0: Um, I, I think I'd be uh, disingenuous to say anything other than food. The food is <laughs> just incredible. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. I, it, it was like not only just reasonably priced, which I wasn't necessarily expecting, but it was just, I, I there were zero bad food experiences. Everything was incredible. So mm-hmm. uh, just unbelievable.
1: hmm Okay, completely switching gears once again. Um, I want to know what's the deal with you and Nicolas Cage.
0: I somehow felt like Nicolas Cage was going to come up uh, with the people I was telling you to talk to. Um, I I love Nicolas Cage. I think he's I think he's a he's brilliant. He's just an incredible actor. Over the pandemic, uh, m- my partner and I and some of our friends would. Get together and we would have like watch bad Nicolas Cage movies night and we just do that you know a couple of times when we get together um, and there's just something he just has a, a way about him and of course he's in so many movies and so many of them are so bad but he just has like a really unique way to bring this energy to movies that I can't imagine anybody bringing to their movies and yep. then when you he's in a role where he's like. Uh, In a good movie, he can act the crap out of it, but still have this energy that is just unbelievable. I saw uh, like he released Pig I think it was like in 2021 and that movie was just incredible. It was so good and his acting was so intense and emotional and all, you know, my friends, my friends all hated it. They they expected it to be a crazy Nick Cage movie and instead it was like this emotional character piece but I, I just think I just think he He's an incredible actor. And even when he's being kind of Nicolas Cage and being kind of bad shit off the walls, it's just also really fun. So it's just mm-hmm. like this this great tension between great energy, great fun. I love it.
1: Yeah. I mean, Nicolas Cage as is it Castor Troy it was like one of the greatest yeah. cinematic performances ever, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What's your what's your Nick Cage top five movies?
0: Um, okay, I think number one. W- I, I've, I actually thought about this recently because I saw the uh, the unbearable weight of ma- massive talent. I saw it twice in theaters, um, which was really good. And it kind of sparked this question. I mean, my number one is Mandy. Have you seen Mandy? I have not. Mandy is bizarre. It seems really like good. I
1: should, though.
0: Yeah, it's. It's very it's very stylistic. It the movie changes a lot. It's really gory. It's it's yeah. really weird. But I saw many. Oh no,
1: I'm a big fan of Nick Cage doing doing weird things or just actors doing weird things. Yeah, like, I uh, think, like I th- the Andy Kaufman movie or some of the other things. Yeah.
0: Yes, I mean adaptation is probably my number two. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, talking about uh, Charlie Kaufman.
1: Um, oh, sorry, yeah, Charlie Kaufman. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, adaptation is probably my number two. I think that movie is is awesome uh i saw it again recently i was like it's just so meta it's mm-hmm. it's so bizarre it's just so good and he's playing two roles he's playing himself and his brother who's like the better version of him and then yeah. I, I i don't want to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't seen it but i highly recommend adaptation to any listeners yeah. so bad.
1: Um, i think
0: yeah i think the unbearable weight of massive talent probably comes in at number three um i think that's that's really meta as well it's really, intense he did an ama before the movie came out and oh. said that nick, playing nick cage in uh, massive weight was one of his hardest roles uh which is hilarious uh-huh. um, i think pig is probably number four really emotional really good uh-huh. um and then number five is kind of a, a weird one but it's vampire's kiss it's uh one of his older movies uh it's from it's 1987-86 but it's the movie he cites as kind of being where he found his like his like Nick Cage ness, you know, like that energy he's bringing. He really got to explore it. He basically took the role for like thirty thousand dollars, forty thousand dollars. He got paid basically nothing for it. Mm-hmm. None of his uh, agents wanted him to do the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the the plot's pretty horrible. The the script isn't particularly good. But it's just he just brings this unbelievable incredible insane energy to it mm-hmm. um it's it's ridiculous it's hilarious it's over the top so mm-hmm. i think that was really good
1: i think you're a real nick cage fan because all of these are more on his arty side he did not mention con air or face off and yeah well, wind I talkers mean, was it, it was yeah like yeah action <laughs> stuff like that's the stuff oh, that yeah. kind of keeps him employed i guess yeah national yeah, treasure sure,
0: national treasure yeah, yeah exactly yeah.
1: yeah like i think that's kind of the versatility i feel like nick cage is a bit like I think he's a better actor than Keanu, but they have that sort of range. Um, yeah. It's also kind of like, also like Sandler, because like Sandler can do the comedic stuff, but he also, some of my favorite Sandler movies are the dramatic stuff where he, he can do that. He can lean into that if he needs to. And sure. I, I think that versatility is what really defines Nick Cage, right? Or Leaving Las Vegas like, is, another, is another one, right? Um, yeah. He can do it all. Yeah, I, I think you sort of sold me on that. You kind of sold me on that. I got to go rewatch some of his movies now.
0: Or yeah, watch some I mean, of some
1: of them. He gets such
0: a bad rep because he takes so many movies, and so many of them are horrible. You know, like I'll I'll say a movie's horrible. I watched one recently, uh, "Prisoners of the Ghostland." It came out in like 2020, and it was just, it, it was, was terrible. It, it was funny because he was in it, and he, he still brought that energy. Um, but it was just it was just a terrible movie. So he, he does take a lot of bad roles, which gives him.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like Christopher Walken too. It's like you know he can yeah. somehow make a movie go from like C plus to a B minus just because yeah, he's in it. Definitely. Um, yeah. He's got that energy. Uh but that it's but that's it, actually that's actually I think that's admirable that like Nick Cage will do movies that you feel like he has no business even needing to do. Because it's kind of like yeah. the magic analogy would be like you know he 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 plays out every draft deck. Like you know sometimes there are some some bad sealed pools or some bad, yeah. uh, you, you got a bad hand or whatever. It doesn't go well, but he somehow manages to like, to, to gut it
0: out. Kind he of together two one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 But, no, that's,
0: that's a really good analogy. I like that a lot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love the cage too. So, um, okay. I got another one here for you. Why
0: do you love penguins? Uh, I've just always loved penguins. Um they they're really cute. They um Yeah, I just remember like from my youth I was just always like penguins are adorable. I I think they're 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 awesome. Um Nothing like like I like monkeys a lot too. Like mo- okay. like monkeys and penguins, you know, when, when people okay. think of me and animals, those yep. are kind of the ones. <laughs> sure, uh, delver because...
1: and monkeys and apes. I guess,
0: yeah, I guess. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, it, there's like some random factoids about penguins that I like too. They're kind of jokes, Well it's like really jokes. They're like, you know, in order to test the water to see if it's like inhabitable for them to like swim in, they'll push their friends in, and if they get eaten by sharks, they won't go in. You know, it's like it's like weird weird penguin facts that I'm just like, that's just so bizarre. But like, I, I don't know. I just think they're really cute.
1: Okay, okay. Last question for you. It's probably the easiest one so far. What's the best place for people to find you on the internet or on social where you want to be found?
0: Oh, this is an easy one. Uh, They can find me at twitter.com slash learn to love 66. I, I post, I'm, I'm pretty moderate about my posting on there, but occasionally I post, it's pretty much all magic. So nothing particularly. You need to start posting about Nick Cage.
1: I think you need to pivot.
0: Yeah. Maybe maybe that's going to be my new direction. Maybe I'll become a Nick (laughs) Cage. I'm just kidding. A Nick Cage. (laughs) Terrible advice yeah okay um, maybe it's good advice maybe it's the best advice you can find me there i write uh, weekly articles for channel fireball um i stream uh, twitch.tv slash to love six i haven't streamed in a while i've been very busy but um you know occasionally you'll see me showing up there um and yeah those, those are probably the big three ways
1: okay i lied my actual last question was how did you come up with the name learn to love six what, what or a 66 is that is that because you love sex is that because like it, it's like <laughs> no, some other reason all. or what no
0: I mean I it's one of those silly names you make when you're like 12 or whatever I, I don't even remember why I was just like oh I'm just this is just gonna be my my name I, I have no idea and then like on- honestly like 10 11 12 I had to be in that range and then uh, it was a combination of like just i made enough accounts that i used for a little bit that had the same name so it felt kind of weird to get rid of the name so then when i got into magic online for some reason like at that point i i felt like i couldn't distance myself from the name because it was like my account name so i was Mm -hmm. like okay so this is what i'll do and for a while i was like oh this is a little bit you know this is like a kind of stupid weird dorky name or whatever but um you know it actually didn't take long for me to be like i'm just gonna own it you know i I like the name. Uh, I like. I really, sincerely like. Uh, you know, I was talking. We were talking about uh, earlier about like people thinking I'm I'm the best and how I uh, how I deal with that. Even you know uh, how I acknowledge that. I really like the idea that it's some stupid name I came up with when I was when I was ten. And occasionally I play people in Magic online and they're like, "Shit, it's London Love 6. You know what I mean? Like it's it's just funny it's this funny experience where it's like this stupid fucking name that like is whatever. And now it's, it's bringing fear into, you know, people who play magic. So
1: I'll give you a few ideas. Maybe, maybe one day people will be facing off against, you know, Nick cage lover boy yeah, exactly. 69 <laughs> on magic online. They'll be just like, I'm the fear of God, or maybe uh, oh yeah, uh, world's greatest Delver master God's gift to magic. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you, Rich, so much for your time. And I hope you have a great rest of the evening where you are.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, this, was, this was a blast. This was awesome to be on. Um, Again, yeah, I hope you have a great rest of your day.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans of Magic. To support the show, visit humansofmagic.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at humansofmagic. And you can also consider supporting us at patreon.com slash humansofmagic. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.